Welcome to Happened Here. People, places, and the stories they tell. I'm Lulu Freeman, host of this episode, Inigo's Covent Garden. In the 17th century, London was congested. Narrow streets wound their way as best they could between palaces, theatres, churches, taverns, shops and houses. Everyone wanted a bit of London, but barely any part of London was for everyone. Enter Inigo Jones, born not into high society, but into a Welsh-speaking family in Smithfield in London. In this episode, Inigo, now a celebrated architect, has been summoned for a meeting with the Earl of Bedford. Together, they are going to plan a project that will change London forever. Without further ado, let's begin. Bedford House, Covent Garden, London. How would you change London? Written by Hamish Roberts, performed by Stephen Fry. A sunny September afternoon in London. The year 1629. Inigo Jones, the most sought-after builder in England, walks into a part of London that has been called Covent Garden since monks tended crops there in medieval times. He's been summoned for an interview with Francis Russell, the fourth Earl of Bedford. Inigo is now 57. He finds these interviews very boring. Each gentleman is surprised by Inigo in quite the same way each time. On the one hand, he looks like what he is, a builder, the son of a clothmaker. He is lean, marked by a life of hard work. His hands are as tough and dead as leather. But how dare he dress as they do, gentlemen wonder, in an austere dark robe, an elegant white collar. How dare he dispense so impatiently with the gestures his class owes them? Half a bow, a mumbled, Thank you, my lord, for granting me audience, as if these rituals are rather beneath him. Next, he presumes to educate his masters on Euclid and Archimedes, as he guides them through his plans for their land. His ancient Greek, would you believe, is better than theirs. He even drops lofty quotes from Plato, Homer, and Ovid into idle conversation. His interviewers have heard these ideas before, of course, just never out of the mouth of a builder. The Renaissance has long since radiated from Italy across all Europe, but in England classical ideas have remained curiously just that, ideas reserved for those with the time to think about them. They are alluded to in the plays of Shakespeare and drilled into young gentlemen by their tutors, but why should a practical man, a builder like yourself, earls and dukes ask Inigo, know Herodotus's histories or the science of Aristotle? Why should a gentleman, thinks Inigo. Out loud, he tells them, I prefer the Italian approach to building. In Florence and Genoa, master builders, or architects as they're called there, 
are revered as highly as poets. Italian builders draw inspiration from the ancient Roman thinker Vitruvius, who said that the architects must be well-versed in geometry, mathematics, history, philosophy, music, poetry, and astronomy. All these disciplines sharpen one's sense of form. And so Inigo, son of a clothmaker, has learnt them all. The gentlemen nod politely, adding nothing interesting of their own. As much as they desire Inigo's services, they never grasp that the onus is on them to impress him. When Inigo arrives in the office of this Earl of Bedford, the Earl looks, well, like any other gentleman, pale and soft. But as soon as the Earl opens his mouth, Inigo is snapped out of his customary boredom. What would you do with my land? the Earl asks the builder, ushering him into a chair before he can bow. If it were yours? Inigo stays silent. He is used to instructions. His artistry finds space in their gaps and ambiguities. It has never been allowed to stretch out in a large, wide-open question like the Earl's. I cannot say, my lord. What needs doing? The Earl smiles. Nothing, anything. These forty acres of mine, they sit right in the heart of our capital, and I believe they could serve it better, that is all. So tell me, Master Builder, how would you change London? Inigo has never grappled with a question like the Earl's before. So, he will have to dig deep and let his imagination roam. The Streets of London Walking in the Air Written by Hamish Roberts Performed by Stephen Fry So, tell me, Master Builder, how would you change London? Inigo leaves Bedford House at the onset of twilight, the empty sky a dimming blue. This is his favoured hour, when glares and shadows resolve to a soft hue that eases into the eye. The stillness of the light invites Inigo's mind to move. He rises above Long Acre's knitted streets, and London inflates beneath him. Turrets, spires, townhouses and taverns, high-walled gardens and alleyways. Such a hodgepodge, he thinks, every gap filled, every corner utilised to its own singular end. It works, the chaos breeds a wild kind of harmony, but the master builder cannot say how he'd change it, any more than he'd know how to rearrange a forest. If he had forty acres in an Italian city, Venice or Turin, well then, there would be a style to disrupt, an orthodoxy to subvert. But no style unites London, so he cannot change the city by altering a mere patch of it. It will remain the jumble that it is. Well, what then, Inigo thinks, back in his study, as he carefully places lanterns to recreate the softness of dusk. 
he takes a breath and shuts his eyes, hoping to again rise above the city. But now his mind buckles and falls, landing in the middle of an old argument with his one-time collaborator, the playwright, Ben Johnson. Johnson always reduced Inigo's stages and costumes to something mechanical, as if they were simple realizations of Johnson's characters and verses. Inigo's retort, Your words, Johnson, are just one kind of idea. I have ideas aplenty of space, symmetry, and color. Inigo has toured Italy. He has seen Palladio's work firsthand in Florence, Genoa, and Venice. Johnson may quote the ancients. He has touched Roman ruins with his bare hands. In his latest poem, Johnson accused his old collaborator of terrible hubris, of correcting Euclid, and over-beating us with mistook names out of Vitruvius. But Inigo does not elevate himself above anyone. He sees only the abstract forms around which all their disciplines orbit. There are harmonies revealed by Euclid and music alike. One's gaze moves with steady satisfaction across Roman temples because, as Plato taught, certain proportions resemble forms one already understands. Inigo recognizes the shapes and symmetries that structure Johnson's verse. It is you, Johnson, who are blind to the poetry of timber and stone. Stop, Inigo commands himself. Reliving that petty squabble is a poor use of your imagination. He tries once more to dream himself back above the city. But no, he is stuck where he is, inside himself, his thoughts as congested as the streets of London. An Italian city wouldn't narrow my mind like this, he thinks. In Turin, there are open spaces other than the sky. Suddenly, Inigo sees it. The idea. Distractions fall away, releasing his mind to rise effortlessly back above the city. And there it is, everywhere, the capital's unifying quality. Use. It is partitioned to its outskirts by use, by working, living or praying. To change London... He must make something useless to be wandered through. What was the Duke of Bedford expecting from Jones? He had seen Inigo's Palladian-inspired buildings at the Queen's Palace at Greenwich, and the new banqueting house at the Palace of Westminster. He liked Jones's style. But what would Jones design for him with such an open brief? Bedford House, Covent Garden. Space. Written by Hamish Roberts, performed by Stephen Fry. One week later, Inigo Jones is back in the Earl's office, a roll of parchment held somewhat protectively against his chest. The idea came to him fully formed. 
He had only to place it down on the page. Explaining it to others, however, may prove more complicated. Inigo, says the Earl, what do you have? Inigo delicately places the scroll on the Earl's desk and undoes its binds. The Earl gazes, uncomprehending, at the neat lines and curves of black ink as they unfurl beneath him. What's this? he asks. This square? He glances at the scale Inigo has included in the bottom left corner. What is it? Four hundred feet across. You can't mean to build a house as big as this. Oh, no, my lord, Inigo answers, suppressing a smile. These, he points to a series of smaller rectangles on the sides of the square, these are the houses. This is just the space between them. Space? the earl repeats uncertainly. For what? Inigo hesitates. For anything, my lord. Anything? Or nothing. London has everything, save space. The earl shakes his head. But Inigo, I have hired you to fill my land, not empty it. Inigo is silent. How to explain? It will have a column here in the centre, my lord. Such spaces are common in Italy, in Florence and Venice, though my plan is actually more firmly based on ancient Roman designs. The space is proportioned pleasingly, like a man, its corners spread like the widest extent of his hands and feet. This last point has only confused the Earl. Inigo must change tack. My lord, how often are you in London? For weeks, here and there, Master Builder, sometimes a month. Quite noisy, isn't it? I imagine that as business drags on, you long for your country residences, your hunting grounds, for a sky that stretches out before you, for birdsong and silence. This square of open space that I propose, it may teem with life upon occasion, on holy days, perhaps, but it will also be empty. When the city goes to work or to rest, it will be emptier than London's narrow streets ever are. The gentlemen who live in the adjacent houses, they will have a respite from the city's busy corridors on their doorstep. They will have a sky that stretches out before them, a silence to rest their minds in. They'll pay a most handsome rent for it, I assure you. There are also those who can never leave London, who work here year-round, labourers and servants. They may wander into this square, too, and find space to think, to pray, to talk to loved ones. That could be your gift to London. The Earl sits in thought for a while. Finally, he says, that would give me much pleasure. Inigo's heart rises. The Earl points to the top of the drawing. And this? This is no house either? Uh, no, my lord, Inigo answers. A church. Its steps leading onto the square, just as Roman temples once did. Yes, there, there should be a church, I suppose. These were once monastic lands, but it needn't be much better than a barn. My lord... Inigo says, you shall have 
the handsomest barn in Europe. As you walk around central London today, with all its squares, from the grand ones to the quiet leafy ones, to the world-famous ones like Trafalgar Square, it's difficult to imagine London happening without them. Happened here. People, places, and the stories they tell. Hi, it's Robbie Stamp here, one of the founders of Happened Here. I hope you enjoyed that episode. It was a little bit of an experiment for us. We wanted to create a mini-drama, so each of the episodes is like an act in a traditional movie script. A first act, a second act, and a third act. A call to adventure for Inigo Jones, out of which he created this amazing piazza that you can walk in today. We'd like to experiment like this. We'd like to experiment with our amazing writers and performers and actors. If you'd like to find out more about what we're doing, please come and have a look at happenedhere.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. Tell your friends and leave us a kind review and a rating on your podcast platform of choice. It does really make a difference. We'd love to be able to keep telling these stories. We know the algorithm can be a pain. But for now, everybody involved in Happened Here, the writers, the hosts, the performers, thanks you for listening. Do come again. We've got lots more stories to tell. <laughs>